You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode and another week of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And Locked on Vikings is presented to you by Pepsi, made for football watching. And this football season, of course, is going to be a lot different. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. And personally, I am just so excited for football to be back. It was just this buzzing in my heart the whole for all of Sunday, even though the Vikings lost, whatever. I am just so excited to have it all back. And Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. And because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. But unfortunately, the actual news of the day isn't particularly good. The Vikings fell to the Green Bay Packers at home to a final score of 43-34 to in a game that was not nearly as close as the final score would make it seem. The Packers were able to move up and down on the Vikings defense all day due to a combination of poor cornerback play, zero pressure on Aaron Rodgers, and also really easy possessions on short fields thanks to offensive mistakes like a safety and an interception. We'll go into the game a little bit more in detail in a moment, but I should also mention that since we last spoke on Friday, on Saturday, Dalvin Cook inked a huge extension. I want to talk about the game today, so I'm actually going to defer all of the talk about that tomorrow. It's a five-year, $63 million total value. Uh, I don't actually know the contract details as of this recording. I haven't seen anything about that yet, Um, but hopefully we'll be able to have a little bit more information by the time we get to talk tomorrow, and I can really break down the Dalvin Cook contract and what it means and all that stuff, but we'll just put a pin in that and talk about it tomorrow. Today, I want to talk about the Packers game, and the game started out in a fairly promising way. It wasn't that bad. The Packers got the ball to start. They kind of marched all the way down the field, and it wasn't excellent, but the defense held strong in the red zone, and then when the Vikings got the ball back, they marched all the way down the field and got a touchdown. It started off 7-3, to and on the Packers' second possession, it ended up with a goal line stand that ended in a turnover on downs. And yeah, they marched all the way down to the red zone again, but it felt very much like, wow, they had a, the Vikings had like a run-heavy drive, and then the the Packers had a fourth and one, and they had like a 13-play drive and came away with nothing. Like, oh, wow, the emotion of that has to be really devastating. It's really, you know, you felt like you had all the momentum. Two plays later, Kirk Cousins takes a, a terrible sack in the end zone. They have the safety, they have to punt, Packers go down and get a field goal. Suddenly, the score has become 7-8, to eight, and things kind of only spiraled out of, out of the way from there. They had another 3-and-out that ended with a really nasty sack. They had an interception that was really bad on Kirk Cousins, and suddenly, by halftime, uh, the, the score had spiraled to 7-22, to 22, and they were lucky to go down and get a field goal to make it 10-22 to 22 headed into half. But by that point, game situation was so warped that the Vikings really couldn't claw out of it, and the Packers kept dinking and dunking and moving the ball down the field pretty much at will, and whether it was a big giant chunk play or those dinks and dunks, everything seemed to work, and before we knew it, the Vikings had given up the most points they'd ever given up in the Zimmer era. 
and this is definitely the most points on defense. I think this is the first time in the Mike Zimmer era of the Minnesota Vikings that the defense has given up 40 entirely on defense. They give up 41 defensive points plus the two points of the safety. That's 43. The only other time they've given up a 40-burger was in 2014 when Christian Ponder played a Thursday night game also against the Packers in Lambeau, and there was some pick-six stuff in there, so it wasn't really like a defensive 40. This was the first defensive 40-burger that Mike Zimmer has allowed, in his, and he's in his seventh year as a head coach. So this is a historically bad one for the Mike Zimmer defense. And in addition to all of the just one-on-one failures, the on-field execution, and just kind of like getting beat a whole bunch, there were also a lot of sloppy mistakes, a number of false starts, a number of offsides, just a lot of pre-snap penalties, and it really seemed like the Packers were the more prepared team, not only to play their opponent, they seemed to have game-planned better for the Vikings specifically, but just ready to play football. It seemed like the Packers were ready for a regular season game, and the Vikings were barely ready for a preseason game. It really seemed like that truncated offseason and that lack of preparation time affected the Vikings a lot, and the Packers have found a way to overcome that and put together something resembling normal football. The Vikings aren't there yet. So, well, we can kind of get our frustrations, hopefully, here in the, the morning after you kind of come down off of the immediate emotional impact of losing to the Packers in such a spectacular way, we can kind of pick up the pieces. And I think when it comes to a loss like this, especially in week one, the reality is there are 15 games remaining, and one loss, as bad as it is, is going to count the exact same as one where you fought just hard and, you know, you kicked a field goal. And before the game, I really thought that we would be able to see the Vikings, or I was really hoping at least that they could put together something respectable. I didn't think that they would win. I really did think that the Packers had a better roster, but I thought that they could at least, you know, go toe-to-toe with them and make it an interesting game, and instead they kind of fell flat on their face. I don't think the team that was fielded today, I don't think they, they definitely wouldn't beat the Packers many times out of 10. I don't think that they would beat most teams more than five times out of 10, you know? They, they were just unprepared. They just weren't able to piece together football, and there's a lot that goes into that. But I think the lesson from this one is you really get a sense for how symbiotic football is, because when one thing fails and the other thing fails, you know, when two different things go down at the same time, for example, the pass rush really didn't work very well. And the coverage didn't really work very well. And because the pass rush didn't work very well, that meant that Aaron Rodgers had all the time in the world, and he could run around or he could just sit back there, and the coverage would eventually break down after time. But the coverage was also failing very quickly, and so he wouldn't have to use all that time. And it meant that the, the, the pass rush would only have, you know, a second, second and a half to get to Aaron Rodgers as opposed to the normal like two or three seconds, then of course, you know, you're not going to get as much pressure. And so basically anything from that point that Aaron Rodgers wants to do, he's pretty much free to. He can, you know, dial things in at the line. And I think Aaron Rodgers also playing well and making good decisions that foil the adjustments that Zimmer makes. And we have to do a little bit of speculation for that because of course I can't really know what adjustments they were making, especially without seeing the all 22. You know, the safeties were off the screen most of the time, so it's really hard to know exactly what coverages were happening. But after the game, uh, Harrison Smith did say they were in quarters quite a bit, and there was a lot of stuff in quarters coverage or cover four coverage where there's four deep guys, and what that ends up creating is a situation where if you have a route, like a go route, that just picks on one guy that stays in one quarter of the field and doesn't ever cross over, the safety is going to kind of stay true to their zone, and they they are kind of instructed not to go over and help. They're not supposed to vacate their zone because that could leave a big window open over the middle, so you can kind of ensure that there will be a one-on-one against the cornerbacks, and these cornerbacks aren't ready to handle that, especially not with Devontae Adams, who I think headlined the game. He got 14 for 156 yards and two touchdowns 
touchdowns. This is the third Vikings-Packers game in a row where Devontae Adams has been a 100-yard receiver, so we have to talk about exactly what is going on there, how the Packers keep doing this to the Vikings, and what the Vikings have to do next time to try to put a lid on him. And there's quite a few pieces to pick up here. So let's talk, especially in the the vein of what is sustainable, what is a concern that is going to keep happening, right? Like uh, the, the defensive tackles didn't perform very well. We're not going to say that that was a fluke, right? We know that like Shamar Stefan and Jaleel Johnson didn't get a lot of pressure, and I don't think we're going to expect a lot of pressure from them in the near future. Yannick Ngakwe also didn't produce a lot of pressure, but he just got here two weeks ago. Apparently he was dealing with an ankle injury. These are temporary things that could go away, and then you could expect better production later. So what's something, you know, there, there are a lot of causes to a loss like this. When you give up 43 on the defensive side of the ball, that means a lot of different things go, goes wrong. You don't give up 43 on one side of the ball because just one player was bad. There's a lot of problems there. And which one of them are concerns that we just have to figure out how to work around, and which one of those are things that we can kind of expect to resolve themselves over time if we just apply a little patience. So that's going to kind of be the, the the gist of the show today. And again, tomorrow we'll talk about the Dalvin Cook extension, and then uh, on Wednesday there'll be a little bit more tape stuff that I can do, and we can talk about the tape and really kind of revisit some of these things and see what else shows up when you look at the All-22, which can, like, reveal a lot. But first, I want to talk to you about DoorDash. I got some DoorDash while watching all of these games. I had a friend over, and we just, like, sat back and watched football, and it was so amazing. And what's really great is that we didn't have to give up, get up, and, and miss anything. He's a Colts fan, so he was watching the Colts game. I was watching the Vikings game, so there wasn't really any time where there was, like, a commercial where we can go out and get food. So it was great to just have whatever we want delivered right to our door. And DoorDash has all sorts of of options for you, everything local that you like, everything that maybe you can't go out and get anymore because you don't want to go uh, out in public or you don't want to go into a restaurant, and I totally understand that, and DoorDash can bring it right to your door instead, and especially if you do it on game day, you don't have to miss a lick of action. If it's bye week and you're watching Red Zone, or if it's just, you know, the Vikings are on primetime or whatever you're watching Red Zone, which I certainly will be doing, you don't exactly get a beat, so why not order out? And right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order at 15 bucks or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code Locked On. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code Locked On. Don't forget that's code Locked On for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. It's never easy to talk about like a lapse in performance, especially when it is your own performance in the bedroom. You might need to make like an excuse to have a headache or it was, you know, it was a long day, but you don't have to work that hard. There's a lot out there that can help you, like Roman. Roman can set you up with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, it's safe, and it's totally discreet. And it can go a long way toward breaking the stigma. ED is certainly not as big of a deal as it used to be, and it can be pretty easy to tackle with the help of Roman. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL today, and if approved, you'll get $15 off of your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. I want to start with the offense, and we'll get into the defense. There's a lot that the defense has to answer for here, but I I think the crux of the game for me exists with the offense, and while the defense failed quite a bit, like, here are the first half drives, and there's this huge pattern here, right? Like, so, okay, so after the Vikings go down and get eight for a touchdown, Packers had a long drive for a field goal before that, and then you have a 12-play drive that ends on downs on the one-yard line. That's this excellent goal line stand. And from that point to the end of the half, Listen to this. Two plays, safety. Green Bay gets eight plays and a field goal. 
Then the Vikings go back, they get three plays, and it ends in a punt and a terrible sack that comes off of a stunt we'll talk about. Then Green Bay gets the ball back, they go 11 plays and a touchdown. Vikings get the ball back, second play, it's an interception. And then that leads to a two-play touchdown drive for Green Bay, and then they get the ball back right before the half, and they get that three-play field goal drive that makes you feel like they aren't entirely incapable of doing anything. So uh, that, to me, is really, really striking, because not only do you have the defense that can't get off the field, they're giving up, you know, 12 plays, 8 plays, 11 plays. The the Vikings can't string together three plays without a drive-ending catastrophe. That, I feel like, is a lot more extreme, you know, getting beat on certain things and, you know, giving up a lot of dink and dunk to a team like Aaron Rodgers, led by Devontae. Adams, like, I can kind of figure that out, like, I can analyze that, and you can figure out what what went wrong, you can figure out what's there, and that's, like, easier to parse, but if you can't put together three plays of offense without a game-changing catastrophe, what what the hell are we even doing here? Like, I don't think that they're going to give up a 40-burger every game. Like, I think this is probably going to be one of the worst defensive performances of the entire Zimmer tenure. I don't think we can look forward to more 40-point games all the time, but... I kind of think like we can look forward to a lot more two plays and a terrible interception, right? That happened against that's happened plenty of the time with Kirk Cousins at the helm and with the offensive line problems that we've been dealing with and all that. Although I will say the offensive line on the whole for the entirety of the game, I, I didn't hate their performance. I, I could be wrong. I kind of like to wait for a lot of the PFF data and to be able to look at film for all this stuff. But my initial impression was that I, I didn't feel like they were at fault for too much of it. Like the safety was not the offensive line fault line's fault at all. Jair Alexander came in unblocked. Let's talk about the safety real quick. So the play was uh, a a deep play action concept with a couple of corners. I can't remember any of my names of like route concepts or whatever, but what's important is there were two like 25 yard routes. They were both outbreaking. And uh, because the Packers had blitzed off of that side, they were going to be wide open. But the Packers paid kind of got what they paid for there because Jerry Alexander came in off of the edge and sacked Kirk Cousins for a safety. And I think my criticism of this play is actually on the other side of the formation. So the play was actually a max protect play. You had Dalvin Cook in to protect, you had two tight ends in to protect. So that's eight people in to protect, and you only had three receivers on the play, and they were all going deep. On the one yard line, you called that play. And with a seven-step Uh, play action drop back. So you're basically maximizing your chances for disaster with very little contingency. Your contingency is in the blocking. If they block properly, and of course, you know, you have eight people in the block. So you basically hope that those eight people are going to give Kirk Cousins enough time to throw this deep route. But if not, you kind of didn't have a contingency plan. And I think the Vikings opened themselves up to a disaster by calling that play on like the, you know, backed up against their, their own goal line. What I would have changed there is I simply would have made an, an adjustment and, and, you know, Jerry Alexander, uh, d- disguised the blitz very well. Um, and I think this really just comes in. They just made too risky of a play call. I like getting aggressive when you're backed up. I love a, a play action deep throw when you're backed up like that. I love that in concept. So that's not the issue that I have with this. The only issue I have, the change that I would make to fix this problem is to have Kyle Rudolph leak out and be a, an outlet option so that if disaster comes, there's somebody he can dump it off to so you can get some extra yards. Like that's it. That's all I needed. And I think that would have prevented that from becoming the disaster that it was. You might've gotten a little bit of a chunk, have a decent shot on third down and you would have been okay. 
but instead you kind of put all of your eggs in one basket. You made it very all or nothing. You know, and an eight-man protection is far from a guarantee. We are Vikings fans. We know that. And I think that opened it up to too much of a safety. And of course, you know, if you had a different, this is like very pie in the sky, but there are a lot of quarterbacks out there that can prevent that from becoming a safety, right? There's a lot of guys that can run around that can evade the pressure a little bit better. That's never going to be a strength of Kirk Cousins. And he kind of felt that very particularly right there. And then there was the sack that came on the next drive, which was was a stunt. So the uh, the the important part of it came uh, from Zadarius Smith. So he lined up in the A gap. So he lined up on one side of Pat Elfline, and it was a stunt, which meant he was going to actually attack the other side of Pat Elfline in the B gap between Elfline and Brian O'Neill. And that's kind of the trickery to it is that now Brian O'Neill wasn't expecting to have to block Zadarius Smith, and the angle is going to be wrong, and you can kind of win the gap that way. And Zadarius Smith did a great job of attacking the tackle's hip. That's where you're supposed to go, and kind of winning the leverage there. I mean, like try to push something off of your hip, right? Like you're using very strange muscles, and it's an awkward angle. Managed to get that awkward angle on. Brian O'Neill, push him back and get in for the sack. And that was a sack on third and eight. So you can really afford to kind of pin your ears back. You're not worried about the run. You're not going to do anything where you can kind of call those stunts on third and eight. And being in third and eight is a big enough problem in the first place, but also getting beat on that stunt is really, really rough. I I think I would blame Elfline more than O'Neal for it, because I think when that kind of stunt happens, you also had a rusher coming in uh, off of the edge, like out wide. So Brian O'Neal wanted to go get that wide edge rusher, but realized that Zadarius Smith was coming in, tried to turn back and kind of found that he was like having to choose between one blocking one guy, blocking the other guy. And that caused a hesitation that meant that Zadarius Smith could get in for the sack. And really, what Elfline should have done was be able to kind of uh, have the lateral motion to keep up with Zadarius Smith and realize that that stunt was happening, that the other guy in the stunt, I, I think it was uh, one of the linebackers, I forget who it was, uh, who ended up getting picked up by Bradbury very nicely, realizing and reading that that was happening and sticking with Zadarius Smith is what you need to expect from the right guard. He doesn't pull it off, and Brian O'Neill is put in kind of a, an impossible situation. So he gets credited with that, and he didn't play very well either. He probably should have um, just, he, he probably shouldn't have like tried to abandon his assignment to go to Zadarius Smith, because if he if, if he had blocked Zadarius Smith, the other guy would have come in and smoked him anyways. Um, and then even though he did commit to Zadarius Smith, he still didn't actually like get what he abandoned his assignment to do. So he didn't exactly have a great play either. But either way, it turns into a horrendous sack and the Vikings end up punting after three plays. And that's like on that's bookended on either side by double digit play drives for scores from the Packers. And then the interception was pretty easy to break down. That was just a miss. It was a fine throw. Uh, there was room to the outside. Adam Thielen was running an outbreaking route, but uh, Kirk Cousins put it too far to the inside, too far behind him, and in the bobble of it, a Packer comes down with it, and there you go. You have an interception, and that's basically the entire half. The next time they got the ball, there was like 39 seconds left. And so it makes it really difficult to evaluate the offense because by that time, game situation had changed everything. So the entire second half is not particularly useful, like, evaluatively, and they played fine in the second half. There was a lot of prevent and a lot of, like, really uh, off coverage and a lot of really conservative defense from the Packers, and the Vikings, to their credit, were able to take advantage of that and put up, you know, 34 points and kind of do something respectable and kind of make the game look like it was a little bit less out of hand. 
but a lot of that success was born of circumstances that only exist in a, a, a case where you've already lost the game, where you're already down three scores, and the Packers are saying, yeah, we'll see to score if it takes you too long to do it. Of course, you know, Mike Zimmer's the, like, the wonderful orchestrator of this all the time, and it sucks to be on the wrong side of it, but there's going to be a lot of garbage time stuff there. And while those, there's some, you know, stuff to build on there, you can get some momentum, you know, the offensive line can get some reps, you can get real live game reps together, that is always going to be a little helpful, you can be grateful for that. It's not particularly useful to evaluate there. I want to evaluate neutral situations where the game was is within a score, where it's a normal, uh, you know, down a distance, a normal time, where there's not something warping the play call or warping the technique you have to play, and that's where you really get to know how, you know, that's where the, the men get separated from the boys, and the Vikings ran 19 plays in the first half, and not even all of those were in normal game situations. You had a backed up, you had a, a, a 39 second, you know, really quick go, go get a field goal type drive. So there were really only like 11 plays that I think I would like actually use evaluatively, and those were catastrophic. So this is a bad offensive performance. And I think the the most redeeming parts of it happened in contexts where I don't really find them that important. But before I talk about the defense and all the things that went wrong there, which is, I think, a little simpler to talk about, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is back, and they have all kinds of new fun flavors like cookies and cream, carrot cake, and all sorts of things that you shouldn't be able to try, especially if you're a guy on a diet, maybe you want to do it post-workout, or maybe you're on keto and you want a keto-friendly treat that you can indulge in without feeling very guilty. And it's dressed in this wonderful layer of chocolate that will make you think you're having a treat and not like a decently healthy snack. So head on over to BuiltBar.com if you want to order a box for yourself. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off of your next order. That's pro- locked on for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right, we're running a little long, but let's talk about the defense. So the defense, I think, is going to get most of the blame for this one, and I think rightfully so, right? You give up 43 points, and I, I, there's a lot of frustrations that I have, but I think the main one comes with the, the plan and the secondary. And again, really hard to surmise this, so I reserve the right to revisit this and correct myself if I'm wrong. But... The way I saw it, you can't give up 14 and 150 to Devontae Adams when Devontae Adams is the primary weapon on the Packers. And I don't say primary weapon like he's, you know, the the one in a one-two punch. I mean, he is like the only guy. Aaron Jones in the running game never really got going for the Packers. They got plenty. I think they were like fine in efficiency, but they didn't exactly gash us on the ground the way that they gashed us through the air with Devontae Adams. And there were so many of those plays that were outbreaking routes on single coverage on like Cameron Dantzler. And I I just don't understand how you can allow that to happen to you eight, nine times in a game. Uh, Have Devontae Adams against Cameron Dantzler with Dantzler playing eight yards off and you give up a seven yard out and then he misses the tackle to to boot, right? That to me, I think is the biggest failure. They also didn't get any pressure. I mean, Shamar Stefan might have had the best game and he didn't have a great one. Uh, Of course, no Daniel Hunter. Fadio Denebo had some splash plays, but certainly not enough to like not look like a backup, and uh, Yannick Ngakwe was a complete non-factor. It sounds like he was dealing with an ankle injury, so we'll have to monitor that as the week goes on. And he also just, you know, he got here like two weeks ago, so his expectations for week one should probably be tempered. But either way, I mean, the effect is the same, right? You didn't get anything off the edge. You didn't get anything up the middle. Jaleel Johnson was also a non-factor, so your entire starting defensive line really got worked. And I, I think I stand by the take that I had last year that the Vikings have the worst defensive tackles in the league, and I think, again, they have the worst defensive tackles in the league. I, I 
really think that this is a huge weakness of the Vikings and not getting any pressure is going to make it so that Aaron Rodgers is all the time in the world to pick apart the cornerbacks, and the cornerbacks are struggling plenty too because they have to contend with Devontae Adams. What I'm really curious about and what I can't really answer right now is where the safeties were, right? Where was Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith? Sam Ekstrom, he was at the game uh, covering it from the press box, and he tweeted that uh, he kind of saw a lot of times Aaron Rodgers would really key on where those safeties were and throw away from them, and there's not much you can do to discourage that, right? Other than, you know, finding ways to, like, punish those throws. If you realize that putting Harrison Smith on one side of the field forces it to the other side of the field, you can probably find a way to take advantage of that, and maybe you can apply that to the next match. Matchup. But a, a lot of that, too, is just Aaron Rodgers being good at de- dissecting and, and decoding defenses. And there's not a lot. I mean, that's just what makes him a difficult opponent. So some of that I'm, I'm willing to be OK with. But the other concern here is outside of Devontae Adams. And I guess I'll just have to put a pin in the Devontae Adams thing, because for whatever reason, whenever he plays the Packers, he gets more receptions than I think he has his career best games against the Vikings. Whenever we play the Packers, Devontae Adams kills us more than he kills other players. We are doing something wrong that other teams aren't doing. And I really want to investigate that further. So I'm going to put a pin in that and and maybe come back to it like on Wednesday or another time. Um, But what I think is, I I guess, more concerning is that there were two touchdowns from Marquez Valdez-Scantling and a touchdown from Alan Lazard. These guys are the guys that your corners, even young, inexperienced corners, should be able to keep up with, and it seemed like they were getting beat up too. Hughes got destroyed. He he gave up a, a couple of deep plays in the slot out of press coverage against Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Valdez-Scantling uh, had a couple of other opportunities that were dropped, so this could have been even worse, and he also gave up the touchdown to Alan Lazard at the end of the game. That was kind of the dagger, although that one I fault him a lot less for because he was in good coverage, and uh, I I think Rodgers threw a fairly indefensible pass, and I I think Mike Hughes did about as well as you can expect a corner to do there, so I'm not as upset about that one, Um, but I I do think getting beat off of the line by, like, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is highly, highly concerning, and I, I came in with high hopes for Mike Hughes over the season. And listen, it's just week one. We can all relax. I tweeted like, wow, Mike Hughes had a bad day. And and I immediately had like a million mentions like, aha, I knew we should have picked Will Hernandez. It's like, calm down. He's he's not like a bust of a draft pick because he had one bad day. He had a bad day against Dallas too. He came back. He had a couple of good days after that. He's had plenty of good and bad days and we kind of have to take the whole body of work. And by the way, there are 15 games left. So everybody calm down. We're not tanking for Trevor Lawrence just yet. But I do think it's valid to be a little concerned because of the poor game he had getting beat by Devontae Adams. I kind of understand that. Cameron Dantzler, Holton Hill, they got beat up by Devontae Adams. I wouldn't expect them to beat Devontae Adams, so how good I thought they were is still kind of intact. With Mike Hughes getting beat out of the slot like that is really rough. And then the other thing is next week, the slot uh, test is going to be really intense. You've got Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton coming in on the Colts. That's a slot test, and that's going to be really where we learn about Mike Hughes. The other thing is Jeff Gladney didn't really get involved in the action. I was a little surprised by that. Uh, it sounded like he was going to get into the rotation just by the way that the, the Vikings talked about him, but he didn't get a lot of first team reps in camp. So maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised as I was, but I suppose that's something to like look at and, and keep an eye on over the season. I'm sure Jeff Gladney gets in eventually though. I, I would be really surprised if he didn't. And even if it takes him a few weeks, that's not really anything to be alarmed over. Like Ezra Cleveland also, that's not really anything to be alarmed over. A, lo- a lot of rookies don't start right away. Like that's very, very normal fare. That's not a reason that suddenly we get to declare everybody a bust. And honestly, if you're declaring any rookie a bust after one week, then I, I think you're just upset, which is fine. You can be upset online. That's okay. Uh, but understand that like, that's not a point that I'm going to take seriously. 
I actually spoke with Ross Jackson at Locked On NFL, which I now do every Tuesday. So every Tuesday, go check out Locked On NFL. Uh, but we were talking about Tua Tagovailoa and how he wasn't going to start in week one and like how concerned should we be? And, you know, is it normal for rookies to like stay? And we just looked at quarterbacks, but this really uh, does bear out for corners and offensive linemen too. So with like Gladney and Cleveland, uh, it's ba- the, the answer to that is no, you shouldn't really be concerned. It's like totally normal fare. If they're not in by the end of their rookie year and they haven't played at all, and then you might have a treadwell situation on your hands, yeah, then you can be concerned. But even then, sometimes it's just guys take a redshirt year. Like, that's just a thing. Transitioning to the NFL is hard. It's extra hard this year. I wouldn't expect the rookies to be all the way up to form. Um, I, I think that's probably an unreasonable thing to expect. Uh, and, and even Justin Jefferson did get involved, and you showed a little bit of that flash after the catch. I would love to see a little bit more from him next week. The thing is, it's just really hard to evaluate any of this because, again, you only had, like, 11 snaps that are, like, in an evaluatable situation. So you can't really look at this game and make any real declarations about how good or bad a person on offense is because you're going off of, like, 10 good, usable snaps. You need a bigger sample, and I I think that patience is warranted when in doubt, wait it out, you know? So real quick, let's just go over some of the things I've talked about and talk about like what's sustainable here. And the schematic issues and, uh, you know, the the issues of game planning and just not really preparing for Devontae Adams very well. Again, put a pin in that because I don't really have a great understanding for exactly what's happening on the field schematically. And I want to look at the tape before I can really like assess that. So I'll put a pin in that, but I have a feeling that that's easily fixable. That is just, we just need the coaches to make a different decision and then that can be fixed. So that's definitely not something that's like an insurmountable deal. We have to just work around being poor at right guard because that's Pat Elfline. You kind of just have to figure out a way to work around that. That's not going to get fixed this year. And if you want to be competitive, that's that's not a concern. That's just a weakness. The corners, I'm a little concerned. I'm, I'm concerned about my cues. That might be sustainable. That might be just a bad thing that I didn't expect to be bad that I'm going to have to adjust my expectations for now. But poor play from Cameron Dantzler, poor play from Holton Hill not concerned about that at all. That That is, I, I think week one is weird. Week one this year is extra weird, and I wouldn't be surprised at all for that to shape up as the year goes on. It's going to take a little bit. They're not going to be perfect. They're probably going to give up more plays next week, maybe even the week after that, but I, I think what we need to see from them is to get better as the year goes on, and then hopefully by November and December, you'll be able to kind of put together a run, and, and hopefully the standings aren't too far out of reach by then, but I don't think we'll get to that point just yet. They're 0-1, not 0-10. And then I think the issues on offense that really derailed them, which is basically like, hey, the mistakes that were made were particularly catastrophic. I think that's an element of variance. Like you get beat on stunts all the time, but getting beat on a stunt leading to a sack that happened on third and eight that killed a drive that was bookended by two. Like there's a lot of other things that contextualize that stunt. And next time you get beat on a stunt, it probably won't be that devastating. So I mean, of course it's bad, but like it won't come in such a devastating context. So that is kind of one of the ways that variance manifests itself in football. And so I'm not going to be like worried that every week we're going to have 900 play- bad stunts and we'll never get an offense going because they'll always just stunt. Like that's not going to be how this works. And I think that that things will probably just by the very nature of randomness might bounce back a little bit. So there are some things that are concerns that really that I'm really just like disappointed and it's bad and they're going to have to work around it if they're going to need to find a way to win. And there are some things that I think we can just kind of like relax about and things are going to be okay. Guys will see the field eventually. Guys will play a little bit eventually and we can all kind of calm down and relax. It's not the apocalypse. It's just a loss. And I might say that at just about every time the Vikings lose, but I'm an advocate for patience. 
And I think that when you extrapolate one loss or one bad day into a bad career or a bad season or a bad month even, I think that's a little irresponsible. I think we just take this game by game. This one was pretty bad. It was bad in a whole bunch of ways. And I'm not going to sit here and say that this exact same thing is going to happen next week. I think that's pretty irresponsible. But if it does, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it either way, but that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. I've already gone long here, so uh, we'll talk tomorrow about Dalvin Cook. We'll talk about the extension and all that stuff. Uh, Hopefully have some pretty cool stuff lined up there, and uh, then on Wednesday, we'll talk about the tape. The Game Pass tape will be out. I'll have all kinds of time to to look at it and really uh, answer some of the questions that I've kind of deferred into that one. We'll be able to talk about that then, so stay tuned. Next couple days on the show are going to be really cool, and then of course Thursday and Friday, we're going to talk to the Colts. Thursday, we'll do Locked On Colts. Colts crossover. We do crossover Thursdays where we talk to the locked on host of the other team. And then of course on Friday, I'll do a more in-depth preview with uh, some of my own research so we can really get ready to see the Colts. So this week's going to be really fun. And of course, make sure you catch me also at least on Tuesday on Locked On NFL, but you should subscribe to Locked On NFL because the rotation of cast is really cool and you should definitely check it out. So thank you guys so much for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Pepsi made for football watching. And as always, Skull.